0: Welcome to the Internet Educational Activity, Optimizing Bone Health in Cancer Patients. This activity was recorded on April 14, 2011. This activity is provided free of charge, and it's available from May 24, 2011 through May twenty third, two 2012. This activity is planned and coordinated by ASHP Advantage and supported by an educational grant from Novartis Oncology. This continuing education activity was planned to meet the needs of pharmacists who have an interest in oncology and the treatment of breast cancer and solid tumors, or who work in oncology. This activity is accredited to provide continuing education for pharmacists. ASHP is accredited by the Accreditation Council for Pharmacy Education as a provider of continuing pharmacy education. This activity provides one hour of continuing pharmacy education credit. The estimated time to complete this activity is one hour. The ACPE Activity Number is 204-000-11-409-H01P. This activity consists of audio segments, a post-test, and a post-activity evaluation. An optional handout containing continuing education information, slides, and references, along with a downloadable study guide, is available with the podcast files. Participants must listen to the entire activity and then take the activity post-test and complete the post-activity evaluation online to receive continuing education credit. A minimum score of 70% is required on the test for credit to be awarded. Participants may print their official statement of continuing education credit immediately after successful completion of the post-test and post-activity evaluation. In accordance with the Accreditation Council for Pharmacy Education's guidelines, For standards for commercial support, ASHP Advantage requires that all individuals who have control in planning or presenting educational content disclose all relevant financial relationships with any commercial interest. This includes faculty, teachers, authors, activity directors, and members of planning committees. An individual has a relevant financial relationship if the individual or his or her spouse or partner has a financial relationship. For example, an employee, consultant, research grant recipient, speakers bureau, or stockholder, in any amount occurring in the last 12 months with a commercial interest whose products or services are discussed in the educational activity content over which the individual has control. The existence of these relationships is provided for the information of participants and should not be assumed to have an adverse impact on presentations. All faculty and planners for ASHP Advantage educational activities are qualified and selected by ASHP Advantage and required to disclose any relevant financial relationships with commercial interests. ASHP Advantage identifies and resolves conflicts of interest prior to an individual's participation and development of content for an educational activity. After participating in this knowledge-based activity, participants should be able to Describe the prevalence, morbidity, mortality, and impact on quality of life of skeletal-related events in patients with cancer. Explain normal bone remodeling and the pathogenesis of skeletal-related events in patients with cancer. Discuss the mechanism of action, efficacy, and safety of agents used for treating bone metastases and slowing or preventing cancer treatment-induced bone loss. Recommend a pharmacologic regimen for a patient with bone metastases or cancer treatment-induced bone loss. Identify new or emerging bone-targeted therapies for patients with bone metastases and describe mechanisms of action and potential roles in improving bone health in cancer patients. The presentation, Optimizing Bone Health in Cancer Patients, is approximately 50 minutes and is given by Chad M. Barnett, PharmD, BCOP. Dr. Barnett is clinical pharmacy specialist in breast oncology at the University of Texas M.D. Anderson Cancer Center in Houston, Texas. Dr. Barnett is an activity co-chair and speaker and declares that he has no relationships pertinent to this activity. Jane Prumer, activity co-chair, and Erica Thomas, activity planner, each declare that they have no relationships pertinent to this activity. To complete the activity post test, go to the ASHP Learning Center at http colon slash slash ce.ashp.org. For additional educational activities and resources on this topic, visit www.optimizingbonehealth.com. Thank you for participating in this educational activity.
1: My name is Chad Barnett, and I'm very pleased to be your speaker today. I am clinical pharmacy specialist in the Department of Breast Oncology at the University of Texas MD Anderson Cancer Center. And actually, um, we're very specialized. I only take care of patients with breast cancer here. So here are the learning objectives for our presentation today. I think what's easier is moving into kind of an outline of the presentation. So obviously, bone health, is a huge topic and a a huge issue for patients everywhere. So any number of these topics could be hour-plus long presentations in and among themselves. So I'm going to do my best today to really kind of boil it down to the most important information, but of course I won't be able to go into every detail on each of these areas. So first we'll start out with some background on bone health in general. We'll move into cancer and cancer treatment-induced bone loss, which is a a big problem, as we'll discuss. Next, we'll move into the issue of uh, solid cancers that metastasize the bone and their management, as well as the use of bisphosphonates in the adjuvant setting. So this means use of bisphosphonates not only to help with bone mineral density, but to actually have an anti-tumor effect. So uh, very interesting information. And then finally, we'll finish with some new and emerging bone-targeted therapies. So bone disease affects many, many patients. And in fact, osteoporosis um, is a worldwide health problem, affecting 75 million people in the United States, Japan, and Europe. And of course, this can be from several different reasons, patients, Women can go into menopause, increasing the risk of bone loss. The aging process contributes, as well as um, hypogonadal states, uh, either by surgery or some of these can even be drug-induced. And, of course, what we're worried about with osteoporosis is not necessarily the bone mineral density loss, but really fracture. So fracture is the most important complication of osteoporosis. and. There's an estimated 30 to 50% of women and 15 to 30% of men that will have a fracture in their lifetime. So, this uh, is something that's significant. There is also cancer related bone loss, and the most common tumors associated with cancer related bone loss um, are breast, prostate, and lung, although there are other cancers that this can be an issue. Unfortunately, some of our treatments can contribute to bone loss, and so Um, We will cover the the topic of cancer therapy-related bone loss. And then finally, bone metastasis, that is cancer that has spread to the bone, is a huge contributor to morbidity and even mortality with an estimated 350,000 deaths per year from bone metastasis alone. So bone remodeling is really going on in all of us uh, every day. And this is a well-balanced remodeling sequence in normal bone. So you can see that OC is osteoclast. So bone is resorbed uh, or broken down by osteoclast and then regenerated subsequently by this OB. This is osteoblasts in normal bone for normal bone mineralization. And this is a normal process that is happening in each of us all the time. Unfortunately, some cancer treatments can shift the process in favor of bone breakdown. And to illustrate this, I'd like to talk about a patient case. So this is patient JK. She's a 64-year-old postmenopausal white female. She was just diagnosed with breast cancer. That's a small lesion, 0.5 centimeters her lymph nodes were negative by ultrasound, she is ERPR positive, which means that her tumor is sensitive to endocrine therapy, and she is HER2 negative by immunohistochemistry, so this means that she wouldn't qualify or benefit from a HER2 targeted therapy such as trastuzumab. Um, I don't want to focus too much on the breast cancer aspect, but just to give you a little background. She had appropriate surgery, both segmental mastectomy and sentinel lymph node biopsy. She then went on to complete radiation and started an aromatase inhibitor, an one milligram daily. Whenever we start patients on aromatase inhibitors, we assess their bone mineral density. And so you can see this patient's results from her DEXA scan in the chart uh, at the bottom. You can see that she is classified to have osteopenia in her lower spine, her right and left femoral neck and her left total hip. Her right total hip bone density was normal and we will definitely talk about how to calculate a T score uh, in the coming slides. So now I'd like to move into our first uh, audience response question. Which of the following medications is the most appropriate for prevention of aromatase inhibitor induced bone loss in our patient? Is it um, number one, teraparotide, two, raloxifene, three, alendronate; or four, conjugated estrogens. Most people think this is alendronate, so we'll move on to see if you are correct. So cancer treatment-induced bone loss is the rapid and severe bone loss resulting from cancer therapies that cause either estrogen deprivation in women, or androgen deprivation in men. And so this can be caused through several uh, different medications or procedures. So, androgen deprivation therapy can be caused by LHRH agonists. This is luteinizing hormone releasing hormone agonists or um, an antagonist, as we'll discuss in an upcoming slide, for men with prostate cancer. Women getting treated for breast cancer can also. Uh, undergo estrogen deprivation therapy. Um, Premenopausal women, if you give them an LHRH agonist, this can increase their risk of bone loss. And then also patients who are postmenopausal receiving an aromatase inhibitor, this can cause further lowering of their estrogen and uh, put them at risk for bone loss as well. Patients, especially premenopausal women who receive chemotherapy, this can cause a decrease bone mineral density and also, um, of course, removing the ovaries in women or testes in men can contribute to bone loss as well. So this really has significant clinical, social, and economic consequences. And again, what we're focusing on is fractures. And these can be associated with decreased quality of life, shorter survival, um, and increased cost to the patients and to the healthcare system. And this actually may be um, a bigger problem Then the patient's risk of cancer recurrence if the patient has a favorable prognosis. So this is what we call the vicious cycle, and uh, between tumor cells and osteoclasts. So um, tumor cells produce factors that activate osteoclasts, and this stimulates them to resorb bone and release different growth factors, which then in turn stimulates the tumor cells. So this makes the osteoclast resorb bone at a greater rate and this increases the aggressiveness of the cancer. So that's why we call this a, the vicious cycle. Fortunately, we can interrupt this cycle with drugs that block osteoclastic resorption um, such as bisphosphonates. So bone health um, can be assessed with bone mineral density testing with a DEXA scan. And so this can be measured either in absolute Uh, Units such as grams per centimeter squared, or more uh, informatively, in relative units, comparing that patient to um, a young adult of the same sex. And so this is how we calculate a T-score, and this is the World Health Organization criteria for bone mineral density. So if a patient has less than one standard deviation below, again, that reference mean for young adults, those patients are considered to have um, normal bone mineral density. They're considered to be osteopenic if they are greater than one but less than 2.5 standard deviations below normal. They're considered to have osteoporosis if they're greater than or equal to 2.5 standard deviations below the reference mean. And then they're considered to have severe osteoporosis if they meet the criteria for osteoporosis plus have one or more fragility fracture. And really, why do we care about bone mineral density? Well, this is an excellent predictor of fracture. So for each one standard deviation decrease in hip bone mineral density, there's a relative risk of 2.6 for having a fracture. So this is something that we can easily measure and then assess whether patients are at risk for fracture or not. So bone loss occurs naturally in both men and women, and you'll see the yellow bars on the left. um, This is the annual rate of bone loss, and this is about half a percent in normal men. In early menopause, women lose about 2% per year, and then as they move further into menopause, um, that moves down to about 1% per year. You can see the red bars on the right. This is where we start giving patients Therapies that cause them to have increased bone loss. So, for patients who are postmenopausal and we give them an aromatase inhibitor, this increases the annual rate of bone loss to 2.6%. In women who are premenopausal, who are given an LHRH agonist to stop uh, their cycles and put them into a premature menopause, and if you then give them an aromatase inhibitor, this jumps up to more than. 7% per year. So you can tell that um, this is going to cause a problem fairly quickly. In addition, giving premenopausal women chemotherapy, and if this stops their men's and puts them into an early menopause, um, you can see it increases the annual rate of bone loss to almost 8%. Men uh, are also not spared from this. So men with prostate cancer who receive androgen deprivation therapy have an annual rate of bone loss at about uh, almost 5%. For those of you that may not be practicing in an oncology setting, uh, I just thought I would include some of the most common drugs that we use uh, for LHRH agonists as well as aromatase inhibitors. So LHRH agonists include agents like uh, gocerolin, luprolide, tryptorelin, historelin, and naferolin. Um, in breast cancer, we uh, most commonly use uh, gocerelin and it's the only one with the FDA-approved indication for breast cancer. There is also an LHRH antagonist. This is Degarelix, and it is approved for patients with prostate cancer. Uh, and then also we have three commonly used aromatase inhibitors, and these are anastrozole, letrozole, and Exemestane. So if you see these in your practice, um, these agents can potentially contribute to bone loss in your patients. So, without going into too much detail on these studies, um, I'd like to show you why aromatase inhibitors increase the risk of fracture. And so, there are these first three major studies. One is the ATAC trial and then the big 198 trial. Each of these studies compared five years of tamoxifen in the adjuvant setting. So, patients had already received all of their surgery for treatment. And this was compared to five years of an aromatase inhibitor. And what you can see is the aromatase inhibitor um, significantly increased um, the risk of fractures by about 3% um, in both of these groups. It was originally thought that um, one of the aromatase inhibitors, XMS stain, may have some beneficial effects um, on bone. And so this IES study was a study where they compared five years of tamoxifen to two to three years of tamoxifen, and then they switched over to an uh, aromatase inhibitor to complete a total of five years. And you can see that even with um, two to three years of tamoxifen and they received an aromatase inhibitor for a lesser duration, they had a little bit over a 1% increase in the risk of fracture, and uh, this was statistically significant. This last study is a little bit different. This was uh, MA17. This is a study that looked at patients who had completed five years of tamoxifen, and then they were randomized to receive either five years of an aromatase inhibitor or five years of placebo. And in this study, you can see that the addition of the aromatase inhibitor did not significantly increase the risk of fracture compared to placebo, and the authors thought that there may be A couple of reasons for this. One is that the follow-up was not as long as the other studies. And also, um, patients may have been better about taking calcium and vitamin D. But certainly, we need to uh, continue uh, following this group of patients. So really, the takeaway from this slide is that we really should be assessing the risk of bone loss and the risk of fracture in patients that are just starting aromatase inhibitor therapy. This is a chart that has a list of FDA-approved indications for prevention or treatment of osteoporosis. You can see that the um, drug name is on the left, and the commonly used dose for this indication uh, is on the right. You can see that the first four drugs are uh, bisphosphonates, which is commonly used for this indication. Um, Other drugs include the selective estrogen receptor modulator, raloxifene, also estrogen, calcitonin denosumab, and teriparatide, and we'll talk about each of these in a little bit more detail. It's important to realize that there are no FDA-approved treatments for cancer therapy-induced bone loss and breast or prostate cancers, although um, some data is available, and we'll talk about that a little bit later, Um, but most of our daily practice um, is extrapolated from studies um, in the osteoporosis setting. Before we go on, I'm sure many of you, especially um, who work in a hospital, have run across this distinction. It's important to realize that some drugs are marketed for different indications and have different trade names. So, zoledronic acid, when this agent is used for a treatment of postmenopausal osteoporosis, the drug name is reclassed and the dose is 5 milligrams IV every 12 months. When this is used in the Metastatic setting uh, for the prevention or reduction of skeletal-related events, uh, the trade name is Dometa, and the dose is 4 milligrams IV every 3 to 4 weeks. Um, so these are different, and they need to be billed differently. They have different codes, and so these are not interchangeable. Uh, so that's an important point for those of you working in a um, hospital pharmacy. Dinosumab has something similar. So it's marketed under the uh, trade name Prolia when treating osteoporosis, and the dose is 60 milligrams sub-Q every six months, and this is a different product than Exgeva. This is used in patients with solid tumors metastatic to the bone, and the dose is 120 milligrams sub-Q every four weeks, so just important to have those distinctions before we move on. Bisphosphonates are commonly used uh, for this indication, and these are synthetic analogs of pyrophosphates. And This is a physiological constituent of the bone matrix. These decrease bone resorption, they inhibit osteoclastic activity, and induce osteoclastic apoptosis. Um, They also can prevent development of new osteolytic lesions. The newer agents, specifically nitrogen-containing bisphosphonates, act by inhibiting specific enzymes in the mevalonic pathway of cholesterol, um, synthesis, and osteoclasts. And actually, the next diagram shows this a little bit better. So these newer uh, bisphosphonates inhibit FPPS. This is farnesyl pyrophosphate synthetase um, in the mevalonic pathway. And this leads to impaired prenylation of small GTP binding proteins, such as Rho. And this leads to osteoclast apoptosis. There are uh, many possible side effects associated with bisphosphonates. Um, I don't have time to talk about them all, but certainly we're all familiar with some of the uh, GI reflux issues that can happen with oral agents. Also, with some of the nitrogen-containing bisphosphonates, there are the risk of uh, acute phase reactions in which patients have, they can have fever and uh, muscle aches and pain. Some less common but potentially serious side effects are um, toxicity uh, to the kidney, and this is specifically in some of the more potent IV bisphosphonates, Um, and certainly when we use these on a regular basis in patients with metastatic cancer to the bone, we're very diligent about monitoring their um, serum creatinine and adjusting their, their dose if needed. Osteonecrosis of the jaw is a very rare side effect. Patients uh, that have this can complain of jaw pain, um, toothache. When you look in their mouth, there can be bone erosion. So these are spots in the mouth that you may see exposed bone, and they're very difficult to heal and take a lot of time. So the most important way to help prevent this is by having a baseline dental exam, looking to see whether they need any um, tooth extractions or any other procedures that could put them at risk for osteonecrosis of the jaw, and to take care of that before you start these treatments. This uh, femoral stress fracture, this is very rare. There have been um, some case reports and then uh, a kind of a bigger report with a Alendronade in New England Journal of Medicine last year. So this is something where patients that are on this therapy for a long time um, can have a femur fracture and these are um, kind of unusual fractures. These events are very rare Um, In patients that received alendronate, there was about 2.3 events per 10,000 patient years. So um, very rare, but there's a lot of patients who are taking bisphosphonates. So nothing necessarily to report right now, but certainly there's a lot of investigators looking at further uh, study into this area and, and why this may be happening. Rank ligand is central to osteoclast formation, function, and survival. So this is the rank uh, RANK ligand osteoprotegerin pathway, and you can see that um, tumor cells can directly um, secrete rank ligand, um, can secrete cytokines which cause osteoblasts to secrete rank ligand, and so this facilitates um, osteoclast precursors to move into um, the full osteoclast. This is inhibited naturally in our body um, by osteoprotegerate. And this is used to our advantage. So this uh, new drug is called denosumab. It's the first monoclonal antibody to the rank ligand. It's a fully human monoclonal antibody. Um, The dosing is 60 milligrams sub-q every six months. And it's important that patients are taking calcium and vitamin D um, because there is a risk of hypocalcemia uh, with this agent. And they found that it has a really rapid onset of inhibition of bone turnover, and they found that out by um, some urine studies that looked at markers of bone turnover, and and it works very quickly. This is a, a nice picture of how the nosumab works as far as its mechanism of action. So um, rank ligand is a key mediator of formation, activation, and survival of osteoclasts. So you can see that um, rank ligand um, is produced by growth factors, hormones, and cytokines and can then stimulate osteoclasts to to start resorbing bone. Um, Denosumab pharmacologically mimics the effect of osteoprotegerin um, on rank ligands. it prevents right ligand from activating rank on the surfaces of osteoclasts and its precursors and therefore um, inhibits bone resorption in this way. Adverse effects of um, denosumab, this agent is typically well tolerated. Some of the more serious but less common effects can include um, skin infections. Hypocalcemia is something that we need to be Um, watching very closely, uh, monitoring and replacing calcium when needed, and patients newly starting this need to make sure they're on calcium and vitamin D. In clinical trials, there was a significant, there was a population of patients that had um, hypophosphatemia, and it was categorized as severe, meaning less than two, in about 15% of patients. So this is something we also need to watch very carefully and be um, monitoring their phosphorus. Osteonecrosis of the jaw, unfortunately, um, we did not get away from this this side effect. Uh, However, the incidence is about the same with zoledronic acid. So in the three phase three trials that compared zoledronic acid to denosumab, um, the incidence of osteonecrosis of the jaw with denosumab was about 1.8% and the incidence of osteonecrosis of the jaw with zoledronic acid was about 1.3%. So um, very similar within the two groups. So we need to take the same precautions with dental exams prior to this agent as well. I'll move fairly quickly through um, some of these other classes of agents that we don't use quite as often. Um, Estrogens uh, certainly can reduce the risk of fracture. However, there are safety concerns, especially in our patients with breast cancer of the risk of breast cancer, stroke, or um, venous thromboembolism. So these are not commonly used. The selective estrogen receptor modulator, riloxifen, also um, has some data with benefit as far as reducing the incidence of vertebral fractures. However, there are additional concerns for venous thromboembolism, and also this may have a potentially negative effect if it's combined with other endocrine therapies such as aromatase inhibitors for patients with breast cancer, and so often we try to avoid this as well. Calcitonin um, is available either as an injectable or a nasal spray. Um, This agent is not quite as effective as bisphosphonates, and so the um, American Society of Clinical Oncology Guideline on Bone Health Issues in Women with Breast Cancer indicated there was no specific concerns with calcitonin, but it's just not highly recommended um, in these patients. And then finally, teriparatide, this is the only anabolic agent, so this actually helps to build bone. Um, Unfortunately, in animal studies, um, it increased the risk of osteosarcoma, so in animals, not in people. Um, However, uh, most clinicians are um, a little bit uh, nervous to give this uh, in patients with uh, active cancer or a history of cancer, and so often we do not use this agent. Okay, so back to our um, audience response question. Let's see if uh, there are any answers that are different. Which of the following medications is most appropriate for prevention of aromatase inhibitor-induced bone loss in our patients? Teriparatide, raloxifene, alendronate, or conjugated estrogens? So the, the correct answer is um, alendronate in our patients. visphosphonates are um, very safe and most commonly used uh, to prevent aromatase inhibitor-induced bone loss. So now let's move on to talk about some of the data associated with these agents. So oral bisphosphonates have been studied for the prevention of aromatase inhibitor-associated bone loss in breast cancer patients, um, and this is with an immediate intermediate risk of fracture. These are basically in patients um, who had osteopenia in patients who were started on aromatase inhibitors in these three trials were randomized to either a bisphosphonate, and two of these studies used resedronate, one study used abandronate, or no bisphosphonate. And you can see patients in these groups um, all experienced uh, improvement in bone mineral density in both the spine um, and the hip compared to patients who did not receive bisphosphonates. Oral bisphosphonates have also been evaluated for prevention of androgen deprivation therapy associated bone loss in patients with prostate cancer. And so this was a study by um, Greenspan and colleagues. They evaluated the use of alendronate or no bisphosphonate in these patients receiving androgen deprivation therapy. And um, as you can see, patients who received the bisphosphonate had a significant improvement in bone mineral density in both the spine and the hip compared to patients who did not receive a bisphosphonate. IV bisphosphonates have also been evaluated uh, for patients with aromatase inhibitor associated bone loss uh, in patients with breast cancer. So there are four clinical trials, um, one in premenopausal patients and the remainder in postmenopausal patients. The ABCSG12 uh, study was very interesting. Um, it included patients who were premenopausal. They had just completed their surgery for their breast cancer. They were given um, an LHRH agonist gosaralin to um, put them into an early menopause, and then they received endocrine therapy either with or without zoledronic acid. And this was um, four milligrams every six months for three years. And you can see with the data on the bottom in this chart that the addition of zoledronic acid significantly improved bone mineral density in both the spine and the hip at 12 months, 36 months, and 60 months. The only value that wasn't statistically significant was the bone mineral density change in the hip at 60 months. But all other time points, um, this was uh, statistically significant. And the study was not powered to assess the risk of fracture. The Z and the ZOFAS trials um, asked a different question. So they took patients that had um, early stage breast cancer. Um, they were all postmenopausal. And patients who, all these patients received an aromatase inhibitor. And one group of patients, the patients in the immediate group, received zoledronic acid, 4 milligrams IV every 6 months. And then patients in the delayed group received zoledronic acid only if their T score dropped below 2 or they had a clinical or asymptomatic fracture at 36 months. So it's basically starting from the beginning with zoledronic acid or waiting until the patient has a low bone mineral density and then starting. And the duration of both of these studies was five years. So you can see in both of these graphs, the ZFAST on the left and the ZOFAST on the right, that by using zoledronic acid from the beginning in the immediate group, um, these are the green bars, That they had significantly improved bone mineral density in both the lumbar spine and the hip at 36 months compared to patients who waited um, until they had a lower bone mineral density or they had a asymptomatic fracture. Unfortunately, um, it did not make a difference in whether they had an incidence of fracture. So whether they got immediate zoledronic acid or delayed delayed zoledronic acid, they did not have a significantly different increase um, incidence of fracture. And so this may be one reason why we're not starting um, all of our patients on zoledronic acid from the beginning who are starting on an aromatase inhibitor. IV bisphosphonates have been uh, studied as well for prevention of androgen deprivation therapy associated bone loss um, in patients with prostate cancer. And so the majority of these studies have used zoledronic acid. One study used hemogenate but you can see the results were the same. Uh, All of these studies showed improvement of bone mineral density in both the spine and the hip in patients who received bisphosphonates compared to patients who did not receive bisphosphonates. Denosumab has also been studied compared to placebo in patients with cancer treatment-induced bone loss. These are both uh, randomized control trials. They're both phase 3 studies. You can see that the breast cancer study was much smaller, so the first study evaluated patients with breast cancer who were receiving an aromatase inhibitor, and you can see that um, there was a significant improvement in bone mineral density in the lumbar spine with patients who received the denosumab compared to patients who received placebo. In the prostate cancer study, um, all of these patients were receiving androgen deprivation therapy, and these patients also had an improvement in the bone mineral density in the lumbar spine Um, when they received denosumab compared to placebo. Really what we care about the incidence in fracture um, was not significantly different in patients in the breast cancer study, possibly because of uh, the low numbers of patients enrolled. Um, However, there was a decreased incidence of new vertebral fractures at 36 months in patients who received denosumab um, compared to those who received placebo. So this is very exciting that we were able to decrease the risk of vertebral uh, fractures in these patients. Okay, so um, going back to our patient, just to refresh your memory, she's a 64-year-old postmenopausal white female with newly diagnosed right breast cancer. She had appropriate surgery, radiation, and she started an aromatase inhibitor, anastrazole. Her baseline bone mineral density um, showed osteopenia in the spine, left and right femoral neck, and left total hip. Um, Our recommendations to her would be to promote lifestyle changes, so we'd want her to avoid tobacco, minimize her um, alcohol intake, we'd want her to uh, maximize her weight-bearing exercise. We would um, recommend calcium and vitamin D replacement, Um, and there's more and more data as far as obtaining a vitamin D level, so this is typically a 25-hydroxy vitamin D level, although There is debate about what the most appropriate levels for vitamin D are as far as um, bone health, uh, risk of cancer, and and overall health in general. We would also consider starting an oral bisphosphonate, either alendronate, residronate, or abandronate, um, and we would reserve any IV bisphosphonates for those that um, could not tolerate any of these agents. And then finally, we'd continue to monitor her bone mineral density Um, by getting a DEXA scan on a yearly basis. So just uh, to wrap things up, cancer patients, uh, as you can see, can be at increased risk for bone loss and fracture due to specific cancer treatments that we're giving them. And we should be assessing the baseline risk for fracture at the beginning of their treatment. Bisphosphonates are preferred agents for the prevention and the treatment of cancer treatment induced bone loss. However, uh, there is some data with denosumab that's very positive as far as decreasing the risk of fracture. In addition, they may be an option in patients who are refractory bisphosphonates. We're still doing um, some research, and uh, the place of denosumab really needs to be investigated a little bit further. So now um, I'd like to move on to the next topic. This is the treatment of patients with solid tumors that uh, have metastasis to the bone. We'll move on to our next patient case. This is um, R.R. He's a 75-year-old Caucasian male with newly recurrent prostate cancer, metastatic to the bone. Um, his current PSA is 143, and bone scans shows involvement of both femurs and lumbar sacral vertebrae. Uh, he'd originally been treated three years ago with external beam radiation and brachytherapy, and he's now receiving uh, luprolide, which is an LHRH agonist, uh, every three months. So for our patient, which of the following medications would be appropriate for reduction of skeletal-related events? And we'll go into this in detail. Is it number one, zoledronic acid or pemidronate? two, denosumab and pimidronate, number three, uh, pemidronate alone, or number four, zoledronic acid or denosumab? So we're a little bit divided on this, um, I'm going to go through the information and uh, see if everybody is in agreement on the conclusion. So, skeletal-related events um, are significant events in patients with metastatic cancer to the bone. These are clinically important. And so, they um, can include pathologic fracture, either vertebral or nonvertebral. They can be categorized as spinal cord compression, um, which, of course, is an oncological emergency. It needs to be uh, treated right away. Uh, Radiation therapy, primarily for palliation of pain. Surgery to the bone, usually for um, bone stabilization so that you don't get a fracture. And then hypercalcemia has been studied and uh, included in this uh, definition some of the other studies. However, most of the recent studies have have not included hypercalcemia, but it's important to look at um, these definitions um, when you're looking at each individual trial. So breast cancer is an excellent example of the prevalence of skeletal-related events. You can see that this uh, is a placebo arm of a pomidronate study. So this really describes the natural history of metastatic breast cancer to the bone. You can see that 52% of patients had a pathologic fracture. 43% required radiation, uh, primarily for pain. 13% had hypercalcemia. 11% 11% required a surgical intervention, and 3% had spinal cord compression. So you can see that this is a, a very significant problem in our patients. Unfortunately, cancer cells can travel to bone, and so um, when we start out with specific type of cancer, whether it's breast, prostate, or lung, or other solid tumor, this can stimulate angiogenesis, so the formation of blood vessels. There can be invasion of these tumor cells into the blood vessels, um, which can travel along and finally deposit itself in the capillary beds of bone. You can get extravasation of the tumor cells from these vessels, and then these bone metastases that have set up shop, unfortunately, are starting to cause these patients problems. Once cancer has spread to the bone, um, in most cases it's considered to be uh, incurable. Bone metastasis can be separated into two groups. One is osteolytic and one is osteoblastic. In osteolytic lesions, the predominant mechanism is bone breakdown, and there is interactions between tumor cells and osteoclasts, and they not only cause osteoclast activation and subsequent bone destruction, um, but also growth of the tumor cells, and so this is the vicious cycle that we were mentioning. Osteolysis leads to the release of bone-derived growth factors and can raise extracellular tumor uh, calcium levels. So you can see this is a fairly complicated process with um, PTHRP as well as rank ligand and other growth factors uh, involved in this process. Rank ligand um, is directly involved in osteolytic bone metastasis. You can see that tumor cells can stimulate osteoblasts, to, to form rank ligand, and this can activate osteoclast progenitor cells to uh, move into the osteoclast, final osteoclast, and, and continue the process of bone resorption. In osteoblastic bone metastasis, deposit of new bone predominates, and you can see that there is, again, played by the, the tumor cell and growth factors that causes this bone formation in this case. Most lesions are mixed, so osteolytic and osteoblastic. So many different studies have looked at um, the use of IV, visphosphonates, and solid tumors to hopefully reduce the incidence of patients that have skeletal-related events. These are the landmark trials um, in each of these different areas. The first uh, two studies are um, in patients with prostate cancer. First study evaluated Pemidronate at 90 milligrams every four weeks, and this was compared to placebo. In patients that received these medications, um, there was not a significant difference in the incidence of skeletal-related events. However, in patients with prostate cancer who received zoledronic acid, and you see two bars of zoledronic acid, one is patients, this blue bar started at a higher dose, uh, 4 milligrams um, every 3 to 4 weeks, and this was decreased 8 milligrams every 3 to 4 weeks and was decreased to 4 milligrams every 3 to 4 weeks because of toxicity. In patients that received zoledronic acid 4 milligrams, um, it significantly uh, reduced the number of patients that had a skeletal-related event compared to placebo. So we do commonly use um, zoledronic acid. Uh, in these patients, for patients with solid tumors and solid tumors not including prostate cancer or breast cancer, patients who received the higher dose, zoledronic acid, eight milligrams, and then reduced to four milligrams, had significantly less patients um, with a skeletal-related event compared to patients with placebo. Moving on to breast cancer patients you can see that pomidronate at 90 milligrams uh, is quite effective for patients with breast cancer and metastasis to the bone. There was a significantly reduced number of patients with um, a skeletal-related event in patients that received pomidronate compared to patients who received placebo. Another study uh, had evaluated patients with abandronate, 6 milligrams, which is um, not SDA approved for this indication, and it did lower the percentage of patients who had a skeletal-related event. However, this was not um, statistically significant. This last study is one of the most interesting. There was no placebo arm. It compared um, zoledronic acid to camidronate, and the results were that the number of patients with skeletal related events were similar across all of these groups. So for patients with breast cancer, either zoledronic acid or pimidronate is acceptable for reduction of skeletal related events in patients with solid tumor to the bone. Denosumab has also been studied and has actually been directly compared to zoledronic acid in three large randomized clinical trials. The first of of these um, included patients with breast cancer. The second included patients with solid tumors, not including breast and prostate cancer, um, but did include multiple myeloma patients as well. And then the final phase three study um, evaluated patients with castrate resistant prostate cancer. Um, and these were large clinical trials. So you can see that the primary endpoint of these studies was median time to first skeletal related event, but Uh, Statistically, they used a non-inferiority design, and so all of these studies met the criteria for non-inferiority for denosumab compared to zoledronic acid. You can see in the footnotes down at the bottom that they included a superiority design as a secondary endpoint, and this criteria is met for superiority in both patients with breast cancer and castrate-resistant prostate cancer. This was not met in patients with solid tumors and multiple myeloma, and in fact, the FDA approval is very specific as far as it's approved for patients with solid tumors, but not in patients with multiple myeloma. Um, the package insert states because of uh, increased mortality in that group uh, who received denosumab. Just in the interest of time, I'm going to um, skip ahead for this slide, and then if I don't get any questions, then I'll come back to this. But there are still a lot of remaining questions in this patient population. So back to our patient. Which of the following medications would be appropriate for reduction of skeletal-related events? Is it, um, number one, zoledronic acid or pemidronate? Is it, number two, denosumab and pemidronate? Is it 3, pomidronate, or 4, zoledronic acid or denosumab? Most people pick the correct answer, so this is um, zoledronic acid or denosumab would be the most appropriate treatment for patients with uh, metastatic prostate cancer to the bone. Now we're going to take um, just a couple minutes and talk about both adjuvant bisphosphonates, and we'll go into our last topic, new and emerging therapies. So our first patient, uh, JK, came back to us. Remember, she's a 64-year-old postmenopausal white female. Um, she's currently on an aromatase inhibitor and a bisphosphonate, and she heard in the news that bisphosphonates may have some tumor-related properties and may even uh, help patients with breast cancer. So based on the results from the Azure trial, Uh, Your response is, number one, adjuvant bisphosphonates resulted in worse disease-free survival. Number two, adjuvant bisphosphonates improved disease-free survival. Number three, risk of osteonecrosis of the jaw was increased with adjuvant bisphosphonates. And number four, adjuvant bisphosphonates increased the risk of neutropenia compared to placebo. Most people think that adjuvant bisphosphonates improved um, disease-free survival, so we'll see if that's true. Zoledronic acid has been studied in several different clinical trials. These two, actually, we've talked about previously. The ABCSG12 study was the study that looked at giving premenopausal women um, an LHRH agonist and then giving them an endocrine therapy with or without zoledronic acid. But what they found is that patients who received zoledronic acid had a 36% reduction in their risk of disease progression. So it actually seemed to have a beneficial effect on their risk of having a recurrence of their breast cancer. In addition, the ZOFAS trial, this is the trial that looked at immediate versus delayed zoledronic acid. And patients who had immediate zoledronic acid from the beginning um, had a 41% reduction in disease-free survival events. So had effects on their risk of recurrence. So this was very exciting. We were considering whether to start all of our patients that met this criteria here in clinic on these agents. But really, we're looking for a trial that had more of a, an endpoint that looked at whether it really can prevent recurrences. So the Azure study um, had this type of design. It included a little over 3,000 uh, women with breast cancer. These were stage two or three patients. The primary endpoint This study was disease-free survival, so it was a cancer-related endpoint, um, either recurrence or death. And patients were randomized to receive either their standard therapy, so whatever their oncologist had recommended, chemotherapy um, or endocrine therapy or both, with or without zoledronic acid. And you can see the specific um, schedule of zoledronic acid in this. They received it a little bit more often in the beginning, and then started to space it out toward the end of the five years. This was just presented at the San Antonio Breast Cancer Symposium in December of last year. What they found out, um, unfortunately, is that these Kaplan-Meier curves look pretty um, superimposable. So there was no difference with zoledronic acid compared to the control in terms of disease-free survival, or what they called invasive disease-free survival. It was just a couple different endpoints, but basically they, when you looked at recurrence or death, they were fairly equal. So this was a a little bit disappointing news from this conference. When looking at adverse events, you can see that for the most part, these two agents, or zolidronic acid compared to the control, didn't really increase adverse events too much. However, there was significantly more confirmed cases of osteonecrosis of the jaw in patients who received zoledronic acid compared to the control group, and this was uh, statistically significant. This averaged out to be just a little over 1% incidence of osteonecrosis of the jaw in the zoledronic acid group. So um, conclusions, really because there was no difference in disease-free survival or overall survival in the study, these results are preliminary, so we're not routinely starting these agents on patients that met this criteria in the clinic for the purpose of preventing breast cancer recurrences. There's a couple other trials evaluating this, and there's also a trial um, that just completed accrual in the prostate cancer group of patients that studied the nosumab to prevent bone mets in patients with prostate cancer. So definitely looking forward to to that information. And really when you consider the side effects and no benefits, we're not doing adjuvant bisphosphonates at this time. So back to our audience response question. Based on the results from the Azure trial, um, your response to our patient is adjuvant bisphosphonates resulted in worse disease-free survival, adjuvant bisphosphonates improved disease-free survival, risk of osteonecrosis of the jaw was increased with adjuvant bisphosphonates or adjuvant bisphosphonates increased the risk of neutropenia compared to placebo. So that is correct. In the Azure study, which was specifically designed to look at the risk of recurrence, there was no difference in the control group versus the zoledronic acid group for disease free survival. However, there was an increased risk of osteonecrosis of the jaw with these with zoledronic acid. So now we would uh, steer away from that at least until we have more data that, that's more definitive. Now we're just very briefly going to talk about new and emerging bone targeted therapies. Cathepsin K inhibitors are exciting because this is a key enzyme responsible for osteoclastic bone resorption. And so this is the same type of mechanism that, that we've been talking about with the bisphosphonates. Different enzyme. but. Osteoclastic bone resorption is the target. And so, this agent, odanacanib, has been studied in a phase two trial in women with metastatic breast cancer and showed resorption suppression of markers of bone resorption after four weeks. So, that's not a hard endpoint, but that's a surrogate endpoint looking at markers of bone resorption in the urine. And so, um, that may show promise for other. Uh, indications as well. So, if you look at clinicaltrials.gov, there are a couple of trials with this agent um, for patients with cancer to the bone, ongoing. But we need more. Second uh, group of agents. This is these are SARC inhibitors. Some of these are already approved and on the market for other indications. Um, the main agent that we're looking at from a solid tumor standpoint is uh, dasatinib, and there are several trials. Um, on clinicaltrials.gov, looking at this for this indication. So, just to wrap up the whole presentation, hopefully, I've shown you that bone loss is a significant problem for patients with cancer treatment induced bone loss or metastatic cancer to the bone. That we're able to use bisphosphonates and more recently um, rank ligand inhibitors, including denosumab, to prevent bone loss in patients with cancer treatment induced bone loss and also reduce the incidence of skeletal related events in patients with metastatic cancer to the bone. Until we have more data, um, adjuvant vasocinates should not be used to prevent recurrence outside of a clinical trial. And then um, we have several very exciting novel agents that we're waiting uh, to see whether they will be beneficial in patients with metastatic breast and prostate cancers
0: to the bone. That concludes this podcast. To complete the activity post-test, go to the ASHP Learning Center at http colon slash slash ce.ashp.org. For additional educational activities and resources on this topic, visit www.optimizingbonehealth.com. Thank you for participating in this educational activity.